you know, it's the circle of life in Kentucky. We got your, we got your malt. We, we used it. I sent my spent grain to, to Rosedale farm out in Crestwood, Kentucky. He fed it to his hogs. I bought a hog from him. He, he came in the guy before he processed it, he came and got some of our red ale and then he processed the bratwurst with our red ale in it. And then I cooked it on the grill and I'm like, it's the, it's the circle of life in Kentucky, you know? Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Kenny. Oh. Have you ever been in a funk? In a funk? In a funk. Like, inside of what kind of funk? Like... Not a beer funk. Not a beer funk? Not a Jester King beer funk, but in a funk. I think I'm in a funk, and you know what I'm going to blame it on? The clouds. The clouds? Yeah. The chilly weather. It's been chilly and cloudy and and I'm in a funk. A little bit rainy here. And rainy, and it needs to be like bright, sunshiny, springtime, flowers blossoming. Where the hell are the lilacs? Because those are my favorite. Why does it feel like the Pacific Northwest? We're in Montana. Oh, I wonder why. Because we're in Northwest Montana. Yeah. Did you even tell anybody where they're at? Where are we? Well, we're right here on the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure podcast. Is that where they are? And that's where they are, too. So hopefully you didn't get lost. But if you did, you turned into the right place. But that's maybe the thing. A great place to be lost. You should go get lost. (laughs) (laughs) You can come see us and get lost, but it's kind of dull and cloudy and gloomy here soon. Or now. But where it might be kind of sunny and what I was like thinking of the, with the weather is it would be really great to be somewhere like springtimey and sunny and warm and maybe somewhere in the south and guess where I'm going to Kentucky because what's going on next weekend in Kentucky Ooh, the horses will run <laughs> the Kentucky Derby and right before we got on that's exactly it <laughs> right before we got on um, I had Kenny look up the weather in Kentucky, or in Louisville, Kentucky, where the Kentucky Derby's at, and it's supposed to be like 63 and sunny. It doesn't sound too bad, so at least it's in the 60s and not the 50s, and at least it's sunny and not, they say partly sunny, but I'm feeling kind of negative right now, so it's like partly cloudy. And <laughs> half, so that would be... Glass half full, glass half empty. Mine's empty because I spilt it right before we got on the podcast, too. Damn it. Ooh, party foul. Anyhow, the reason we're talking about the Kentucky Derby is because we are in air quotes going to Kentucky this week to talk to Roger Huff from Gallant Fox Brewing there in Louisville. And their second year anniversary is that weekend as well, the Kentucky Derby. Yes. If you didn't know, Gallant Fox is a Kentucky Derby reference. They'll talk to you about it in the podcast. And... Like they say, like Roger says, they are Kentucky boys. Kentucky proud. Very Kentucky. Kentucky. Boys, (laughs) Kentucky beer, Kentucky bourbon. So that's where all the weather things came from because I was just feeling kind of in a funk. And then I was like, ooh, what's it like in Kentucky? You're in a weather funk. So maybe I need to go be in a beer funk. Not like a drunk (laughs) funk, but like drinking the funky, the beers, the saisons, the earthy beers, the funky, wild, alambic. Where do you get... No, I don't want a Gosa. It's really kind of funny. Here's a little bit of irony here. Gosas are too, like, something that you drink in the summer, like a margarita kind of thing is what I think of it. But then I'm sitting here bitching about the clouds, and I'm like, well, I don't want, like, a summer beer. Okay, maybe I do need a Gosa. (laughs) You just want the sun to go along with it. And that's kind of hard to order up at the bar. Oh, that would be cool. Does someone have that power? All right, which brewery... Can you turn the sun on, please? Yeah, which brewery has that power? (laughs) I need a little more heat out here. Maybe Gallant Fox has that power. Probably turn, not, but to turn the know, sun on, their mojo might bring the yeah. sun in. All right, I need to change my mojo because they got their Kentucky Derby mojo going. And actually, though, has anyone have like we haven't been we haven't been to the Kentucky Derby and we've really never participated in like a party. But I wonder if you guys out there, our listeners, have you ever participated in like a derby party? Like put on those fancy big old hats and. Uh, knowing some of our listeners personally, I would say that, yeah, the, there's definitely been some derby going on out there. It could be kind of fun. But I never have. Yeah, I've no. never, I'm not a 
I mean, I went to horse races as a kid, like with my dad. There was a track in Denver, Centennial Racetrack, actually. It was just fun, something to do with my dad. And my dad wasn't a big horse race guy either as far as betting and all that kind of stuff. But we went a few times just to check it out. That's probably my biggest experience with horse racing is just that. And I've never been, I don't even really watch the Kentucky Derby on TV. Haven't really experienced many derby parties or anything. Been there last year was probably one of my first Kentucky Derby parties. What? But you didn't even know it was a Kentucky Derby That's party. That's what we I'm just saying. We just stumbled on happened it. Happened to show up. So speaking of that, I was going to give a shout out to Sacred Waters Brewing in Kalispell because they do have a Kentucky Derby party at a brewery and you can dress up and you can drink beer. There's no Kentucky bourbon there, I don't think, because it's a brewery. No, I don't think However, they're allowed to serve bourbon. No. There probably is some some bourbon barrel-aged beer, though. That would be good. And who knows? I mean, knowing, knowing the folks at Sacred Waters, it's probably Montana-made bourbon, not Kentucky-made bourbon, because they, they stick, they support Wait, you can locals. make bourbon outside of Kentucky? Believe it or not, yes, you can. I know uh, that. I was just making of, sure you. Some people that. think you can. Some people think you can't. It's but it, the true legal standing on that is you can make it. It has to be made in the United States. It does have to be made in the United States. It can't be made outside the United States and actually be called bourbon. So then, wait, if if it's made the same way, like mm-hmm. exactly the same way as the law delineates that you should make bourbon, but you make it in. I don't know, Rome. Mm-hmm. What do you call it then? It's just whiskey at that point. Okay. You can really call it whatever you want. And probably somebody outside the United States could call it bourbon if they want to call it bourbon. It's just they won't get to import it into the United States because the laws here would say, nope, it's not bourbon. You're lying on your label. Some of our laws are ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was just a, a way to... I. To me, I think it was mostly a marketing thing because it's like a way to say this is our whiskey, this is our American whiskey, which is bourbon. And just like you you can't make um, scotch in the United States. You can't, True. It's the same it's thing. Not, it's got to be made in Scotland. So so what do you call it here then? Scotch? That's probably another kind of whiskey. I don't know. I'm going to say whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it's whiskey. It's spirit. all whiskey at the end of the day. A it's spirit. just different ways of making whiskey, you know? Yeah. Scotch is a whiskey, Irish whiskey is an Irish whiskey, and then you've got bourbon, and then you also have people that don't want to follow all the exact perfect guidelines of bourbon and make an American whiskey. And We, we actually have that. a couple of um, podcasts and like video stories that we did on distilling and whiskey and spirits mm-hmm. and stuff, so I linked to those in the show notes, so you'll have to check those out too. Cool. Because, you know, there's some really good spirits out there too. There are, and, and at the end of the day... And I say this about beer, too. I am, you know, I probably definitely come off as like a craft beer snob or something. But if you like what you're drinking, drink it. It's okay, you know, no matter what you like. No matter what it's called or who makes it, it's up to you. If you like it, drink it. Well, on that note, maybe we should let Roger talk about Gallant Fox and all about Kentucky beer and he really does get a little bit into like Kentucky bourbon and at the end gives you some advice on what to buy. Thanks to Kenny's selfish, yes, self-indulgent, selfish, yes. Self-indulgent, that sounds much like a much better word. Um, self-indulgent question on what whiskey, what bourbon should I buy? And Roger was great on giving some advice on that because, you know. Well, and you'll find out why here because he's a big bourbon guy and. He knows yeah, his there's shit. a whole tie in there with Gallant Fox as well. So Yeah. So speaking yeah. of um that, we should let Roger start talking before we keep our talking ways going all the way into next week into the Kentucky Derby. We should shut up and let him talk. With that, here's Roger Huff from Gallant Fox Brewing Company. So uh, we're back with teaming up with Malt Europe, Malting Company, and this time we are talking with Roger Huff from Gallant Fox Brewing, and you're in Louisville, Kentucky. We're excited. Kentucky is the one state we have not been to yet in the RV. One of just like four. <laughs> well, and then one of them your RV can't get to, right? So so, there's that. so we counted, well, we counted Hawaii already mm. because we had already been to Hawaii before we got the RV and we're like, we have no plans of shipping the RV or doing anything with an <laughs> RV in Hawaii. So we already claimed Hawaii. You need to claim Kentucky next. You know, um, there's a, a, a very special event coming up in just a couple of weeks. So uh, the Kentucky Derby, 
there is no better time to visit the Derby City than when the craziness of the Derby is occurring. So. And it's back full force now, right? It is. It is full force, and it is it is wonderful. We cannot wait. We are actually Gallant Fox is named after the 1930 Triple Crown winners. We are Kentucky boys who own a Kentucky Proud Brewery, who uh, make Kentucky beer, and we have a Kentucky Bourbon Bar at the brewery. And um, we are so proud to be Kentuckians, and what that means to us that we love sharing that with. The people who live locally in Louisville, as well as the people who come in for bourbon tourism or for coming for derby tourism or, or you know, to, to do one of the millions of things. Louisville's a huge foodie city. So we are we are just so, you know, it's such a fun, happy accident that we started a brewery. So to just to give you an idea, um, about seven years, seven or eight years ago, I was at a company working in the marketing department and uh, working with social media and digital media. And... I uh, started, I had a conversation with a guy in our IT team and we found out we both brewed beer in our, in our garages. So we started brewing beer together and uh, we started buying bigger equipment and bigger equipment. And then at some point my wife said, get that out of the garage. <laughs> so uh, we spent, I still remember in uh, the winter of 17 to 18, we spent some time driving around in the snow looking for a place that was commercial that we could just homebrew at, right? Because we are, we had, we had increased our size to a one barrel system. So for, for those of you who know, it's like 31 gallons of beer at a time we were brewing. So two kegs, which isn't a lot for a commercial brewery, but we weren't a commercial. Brewery, we were just two homebrewers. And it's a lot of beer for two homebrewers, right? So Definitely. Um, we found a little spot. It was an art collective building, all these little artists, but it was about 5,000 square feet. And there was, 300 square feet of conditioned space that had HVAC and then 600 square feet that did not. So we used this, we leased it and we used the 600 square feet to homebrew, bought a Perlick four tap pull system uh, to dispense beer. And we started having poker night and we started having, you know, Monday night football night and people started taking our beer home and telling us how much they loved it. And then we got a little nervous because we were in a commercial building and uh, we were brewing beer and people were taking it home. We said, you know what, let's, uh, let's at least make it legal. So I'm, I'm, good at, I'm good at paperwork. So I filed a TTB license under the guise that we were just gonna be as legal as we could and pay the government for the beer that we produced. And then one thing led to another and um, the artists started to move out to a new art place and space in our building started to open up. And, you know, over several beers, we started having the discussion of should we take a little bit more of this space in the building and see if we could do something with it. So uh, we took a wall down, we signed a lease, and we opened a tap room um, that was supposed to open. The original tap room was supposed to open in um, 19, but then at the end of 19, there were some setbacks that we had just because we didn't really know how much it was going to take. We built it literally. We the the tables were were built by us. The bar back was built. We used Kentucky uh, tobacco barn wood for a lot of stuff and found as much stuff to make it as cool and rustic as we could. And um, it just took us a little longer. And then obviously early 2020, when we planned to open was COVID. That's when it started. So we pushed it back a little bit to, you know, everybody said there's going to be a couple of weeks to flatten the curve and things were going to be better. So we thought we'll, we'll hold off for a minute. And then we realized that that wasn't actually going to happen. So in April of 2020, we said um, the end of April, beginning of May, we're named after a Derby winner. So on Derby weekend, we open the doors for people to come get our beer. And uh, it has been a whirlwind ever since then. Can I say to our listeners that, okay, I don't know, Roger, if you're always smiling, but all you're always smiling on camera right now. <laughs> like the second you started talking about this, this grin on your face is infectious. It's awesome. I think that's pretty amazing though, too, that like, I mean, you're in the same space that you basically were just homebrewing, right? Right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and now we we went from having like 900 square feet in the building to taking about half the building over when we first opened, and then about a month ago we signed a lease that takes over the whole building, and we're expanding. So we are. Um, it's it's crazy, you know. I think when you're authentic with your customers, and when you really have a customer centric attitude and craft beer 
I think people can see when you're authentic. And um, we've bought our customers along for the journey. You know, every wall that's come down, we love watching people walk in and take photos. And, you know, now we put a little stage up. Last night, we had our first ever live music event, which was super cool. So, you know, just doing the things that, you know, we we did all this ourselves. So, you know, the, the space is very organic because we had only a small bit and then we had a little bit more. So we've we've kind of just built onto it. And it's just kind of, we, we said, you know, we probably wouldn't have planned it like this, but I wouldn't have changed anything about the way that Gallant Fox has kind of grown. And then, um, you know, on our one year, roughly our one year anniversary, we made the decision working with uh, the, the city of Mount Washington, which for your listeners is about halfway between Louisville and Bardstown and Bardstown is bourbon country. Um, to, uh, they, they really wanted a craft brewery, Bullet County, where Four Roses Bourbon is and where um, Jim Beam Bourbon is, has never had a brewery. So um, in two months, we will be opening our second location in Mount Washington, Kentucky. So we are very excited. We're putting a much bigger, we're putting a 10 barrel brew house in with some 20 barrel fermenters um, and a full kitchen. It'll be our first time doing a kitchen. So we're going to have a full restaurant in it. And we are just, you know, we couldn't be more excited to be expanding in Kentucky. So how many, there's the two of you that own the brewery? Mm -hmm. Just the two of us. And so I, when we first got on the Zoom call with you, Roger, I, I commented to our listeners too, I also commented that you look too like clean cut to be working in a brewery because he's all dressed up in this nice little dress shirt and sweater. And you mentioned that you have another job as well. Like, can you kind of touch on like what your other job is and if your partner also has another job and what made you crazy enough or passionate enough to think of also opening a brewery on top of this? So, uh, yeah, so my partner and I both worked in um, digital customer service space. Uh, he worked in IT and I worked in uh, social media and digital media. Um, and uh, he, about a, a little over a year ago, came on full time at the brewery. Um, I still help when I can with the brewing operations. When we started, it was both of us. Um, we've since hired uh, kind of a, an assistant brewer who's helping but he, we've decided to delineate responsibilities. He leads the brew house operations now, and I lead the the kind of the front of house marketing, branding, um, promotions, partnerships, um, stuff like this. This is you know it's kind of my core because I do digital media for for a living. But the goal is you know um, that this will be what we both do um, at some point. So I'm excited about the day that that comes. As much as I love doing what I'm doing, it's just it's amazing to you know, to be able to do what you love, you know, and, and beer is what we both love. And really uh, not just beer. I think a lot of people get into brewing because they like brewing beer. We, we like experiencing beer with people. And I think that that has been, you know, um, making events or whether it's our huge Oktoberfest event or whether it's the live music we're putting in or just hanging out at our bar with our customers. Um, we've tried to make Gallant Fox an experience. It's, it definitely has a heart when you walk in. So I think you said earlier that you have a bourbon bar in in your brewery, right? That uh, is correct. So, do you have your own bourbon or is this um, different bourbons from other suppliers around Kentucky? Yeah, so we focus on Kentucky bourbon. Um, contrary to popular belief, not all bourbon is made in Kentucky. Most bourbon is made in Kentucky and the best bourbon is made in Kentucky. So uh, there's about, to, we had to date, we have about 250 bottles on our bar of Kentucky bourbon. Um, we'll be expanding with our current or our expansion in our current location that we're underway with. We'll add a, another bar back where we'll, because we have extra bourbon. We just have no space for it now. <laughs> so um, we are big. And, you know, as you can imagine, being in bourbon country, we have access to a lot of barrels. So we're releasing lots of different barrel aged options of our beer, um, along with a lot of other great breweries in Louisville and Kentucky that, you know, we, we have the, we have a plethora of barrels. We have, I think in other states, they have to purchase them. We have private label pick uh, providers come to us and say, you know, age your, age your beer in our barrel and put our logo on your label. And that's a, that's a wonderful position to be in. You know, when people want to bring you a barrel, we're a, we just had the winery that's out by where our new location will be just dropped off some four roses barrels that were four roses bourbon first. And then they were his red Ridge runner wine and uh, we're going to drop a Imperial Saison into it with hibiscus. 
So it's just, we get these wonderful opportunities. So you're speaking to my heart right there with the saisons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is pretty cool. Cause I, I mean, a lot of brewers in other parts of the country are like, you know, falling all over each other, trying to get to barrels and get some of the barrels that they want. And you have them kind of falling in your lap, it sounds like, but, uh, and that could really make for some interesting things. Cause I haven't really seen another brewery do much by way of maybe take the same beer and age it in two or three different barrels where that, cause it probably isn't very cost-effective for most breweries, but it sounds like that's the kind of fun thing that you guys could actually do. Yeah. And we get to be a little bit, you know, choosy with those as well, because, you know, there's a wonderful bourbon company that's kind of an upstart, kind of like we are good times bourbon. And uh, they started off as a private label company. So they're, they're sourcing bourbon, but they're finishing it and they're doing some really cool finishes and, you know, they'll finish some in maple syrup casks or they'll finish some in, you know, um, maybe vanilla bean casks or so. So we'll get them where it's bourbon and then it's bourbon vanilla. And now we have this incredible base to start with where we can put complementary flavors together. So it's really, it's, you know, we, I think I said, we, we understand that we're in a unique position being in bourbon country, but your beer has got to be good, right? If you're going to drop it into a bourbon barrel, you got to make sure your beer is good. So this week we release a, um, an imperial uh, milk stout so that was aged in Cruzan rum barrels with maple syrup, flapjack sparrow, and it is a delightful barrel aged beer. So we we just get to do some fun stuff, and you know all these barrel brokers are in town, so it uh, makes for a makes for it easy. So speaking of um, your beer, your beers, what is what's Gallant Fox Brewing like known for? Did, has is it known for something yet? You're pretty young still, so it, did the yeah. Almost two years old. So I will say we've taken a very different approach. We have a meeting every Monday where me and uh, my partner meet with our, we, we hired our very first real full-time employee um, back late last year. Um, Kentucky finally passed self-distribution. Uh, so per, smaller beer companies and breweries could go out where we don't need to pay a distributor to market our beer uh, and to take a percentage of it, we can do it ourselves. So we hired a sales and distribution manager who is actually one of our bartenders. He uh, He's like, I could do this for you. And I was like, we were like, okay, let's see if you can. So uh, he's been great. His name is Michael Workman. He's been wonderful. And um, But we meet together as a team. You know, our assistant brewer, our Patrick Workman, my partner, who's our head brewer, our, our sales and distribution guy, myself. And we talk about what what's working, what beer's moving, what beer's not moving. Um, what do people like in distribution? And we um, we only have two beers that are really our core beers. We have um, one beer that's our West Coast IPA that's named after the, the area of town that we're in. We're in Clifton. That West Coast IPA is called Straight Out of Clifton. And then we have a uh, our new location. We named a beer after it as well. It's in Bullet County. So we call it, it's an American lager. We call it the Golden Bullet. Um, so those are our two kind of core beers, but the cool thing about us for distribution is every week we talk about what do we want to do and we'll just make a new beer, right? Let's make this this week. How does that sound? How does that fit on the board, right? We have 20 taps. So we're constantly looking at, well, how does that fit? What moved last week? Okay. Well, our milk, milk stout's gone. So, you know, this week we're brewing a banana moon pie milk stout, right? So what are we brewing next week? You know, um, we're doing our key lime pie sour or, you know, whatever. We're, we're constantly putting together new recipes. To, there's a local, we have our, our very first seltzery in town. They're making their own seltzers and we did a collab with them today. So we used some of their actual extract that they make their seltzers with. And uh, we made a blueberry cobbler wheat ale with their seltzer extract with them today. So just trying to, the cool thing about being a nano brewery is you're only making a small amount of beer. So why not have fun with it? And we can put all of that beer into distro if we want. So we we're constantly able to go to the local bars and restaurants and say, you know, instead of saying, well, we've got this IPA back in stock. We say, here's our new IPA or here's this new thing we tried. And it's awesome, right? We made a black Goza. It's awesome. You should try it. So your excitement and passion for the beer industry and brewing is like evident totally in your smile still but and you can see that your future at gallant fox is, seems to be going really well where do you see i suppose the future of craft beer heading in general and for you yeah so i think that there's a you know obviously if you look at the numbers just from an industry perspective when we got in 
versus now, even when we filed for our TTV license back in 1819, started getting started, um, there's been kind of a, still a boom. I think there was a boom then, but there's a boom now, right? There's, it's still occurring. I mean, there's more and more craft breweries every week. And I think, think that the, the, the brewers, breweries that are getting to, into it now, I think that they're understanding that shelf space is limited, right? And the fight for shelf space is not a winnable fight. The margin is not there unless you're a very big producer and the ability to put beer in and keep beer in is, is hard, right? So I think a lot of craft breweries are going to be looking at how they can do more to maximize in-house sales and to maximize their footprint across bars and restaurants and across maybe other satellite taproom locations. So I really think what, what consumers might see over the next five years is, um, is, is areas starting to get craft breweries that don't have craft breweries or maybe second and third locations for other breweries as people start to focus. We even heard, you know, I think founders just released a few employees today or yesterday. They, they, they made scale back like eight employees and they said that they're going to be refocusing on tap room and tap room sales. So, uh, and retail sales. So I think that if you look at the industry, we were already kind of in that mindset anyway. We like to create an experience. It's very difficult to create an experience on a can that sits on a shelf. It's very easy to create an experience for someone that walks in and feels your love for the for for your beer, you know. And I think that that's for us. That's what we want to do. And our growth will be, you know, we'll be looking at different ways to expand our our distribution footprint into bars and restaurants, um, and 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 growing growing our uh, our current brick and mortar. I think, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that Kentucky made it so you guys are able to self-distribute, which I don't think um, maybe many craft beer fans understand that side of things. It's, you know, because it's like they have a favorite brewery and they're like, wow, why can't I get your beer over here like 20 miles away or 50 miles away or whatever in a can or something? And it's like, because before when you couldn't self-distribute, you had to have a certain volume of cans going out there so and a distributor that was willing to take you on as a smaller brewery but now with you guys having your own legs to get out there so to speak it's like you can you can take that you can scale that up or back as you need to 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 kind of flex with your brewery i would assume yeah and if you think about it for the average listener out there if you think about it look, there's there's only a handful of distributors in every major city right so one of those distributors is going to have AB InBev, so so your Bud, your Budweiser products platform and Goose Island and Budweiser and all the brands, Wicked Weed, the brands that they've owned. And then you're going to have your Miller Coors distributor, and then you might have a couple of craft distributors. But any of those distributors that take on a new brand, they're not just selling your brand. They're selling your brand alongside of Miller Coors or brands or alongside of Budweiser brands or you know, your local, you know, for us, and I love, there's not a Kentucky brewery that I don't just have the most love for, but some of, a lot of them have been around a lot longer than we have. So Country Boy Brewing, Against the Grain Brewing, uh, West Six Brewing, those brands have legs outside of the cities that they originated in. So it's easy for them to be sold. And even those brands rank above, would rank above us with a distributor. So the cool thing about being able to hire someone myself and buy a van and make that experience that um, that a bar or restaurant manager now gets completely about Gallant Fox when we go in. We don't talk about any other brand. I think it's it's different, right? So they know Michael, our, our guy who comes in, and we we invested in, um, in eight-ounce cans, these little bitty cans, and uh, we fill them on our counter pressure filler, and he goes into bars, and he takes these eight-ounce cans, and he opens them, and he pours four ounces for him and four ounces for the bar. And he's like, this is what we're selling. This beer right here is what we're selling. Let's taste it together. What do you like about it? What don't you like? And then they, you know, we had a pistachio butter and cherry brown ale. And, you know, he sits down with people and they're like, this is so unique. I've never had this before. It's really easy to sell in that type of environment, but it's not something we would get with a distributor. Yeah. That sounds like it would almost in a way, give you a leg up because you're trying to reach restaurants and places that serve probably more one-on-one -on -one or even maybe smaller um, liquor stores or more specialized liquor stores, things like that. And so you can actually educate the people that are going to be selling your beer after it leaves your hands. You can educate them on what your beer is and they'll know it and how to talk about it to their customer instead of just getting a delivery from a distributor. And here's a sell sheet that says, 
this is what you yep. got in your hands and it's like okay great but but you get yeah, to actually give a personal touch yeah we can be a little flexible you know um we had an instance where a whole bunch of uh people changed like the the person who did a, the the distributing uh the buying for a specific restaurant group changed hands and the new guy who came in he's like i've got too many stouts and one of them's yours and we're like that's fine we'll take it but we'll we gotta we gotta we gotta send you something else what do you want and so it was a really cool intro for us to be able to say, yeah, we're, we're not a distributor. I, I, I have no dogs in that fight. We want you to be happy. And I want you to have the beer that you think is going to sell right now. So you tell me what happened. And we had another one over Christmas. We have our Christmas sales called Shitter's Full Christmas Ale, and it's delicious. <laughs> but we had a bar in town, a very big um, uh, bar who, who I think bought too much Christmas beer and couldn't get it all on. So we took a keg back and we're like, we'll just, we'll, we'll give you something else. It's after Christmas. We'll be able to sell this. People love this beer in house. So <laughs> we were out of it anyway. So, uh, you know, we're, we're able to do some things that are nimble. And also we don't give people a certain day that we're doing uh, drop-offs. We, we try to say, if you order from us, you'll get it in 24 hours, you know? So I think that also helps people get out of beer midweek and their distributors already done the drop-off. Maybe it's busier than they thought. And we can be the number and the guy that they, they call and, pick up the phone and say, yeah, we'll get you a keg over. We'll be right over. So it's pretty nice. It's nice, nice to be nimble. All right. The Kentucky Derby's coming up. Your whole brewery is based off of like the Kentucky Derby. You're very proud of being Kentucky. Um, paint a picture for us. Tell us like what the Derby's like. Oh and yeah. So right there. for people who haven't gone, I think that there's different types of people that go to the Derby, right? So there's people who really like horse racing and, and betting on horses. And I am not one of those people. Right. It probably makes me a bad Kentuckian. I always tell people when they go to the track, it's a, for me, it's about the experience. Right. It's historical being able to go and see, you know, a few years ago, the Queen of England was at the was at. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people who descend on this racetrack and they've been doing it for well over 100 years. And it's kind of, you know, I think people in Kentucky would like to consider ourselves Southern, right? So there's a, there is a, there is a Southern pageantry to it all where, you know, I ha can't tell you probably, I probably would say a third of all the sport coats I own are pastel colors because of the Derby. So you throw your pastel sport coat on and you put a pocket square in and you tie your bow tie from scratch and you go out and you smoke a cigar and you drink bourbon and you watch, I always say the best bet of the day it's not making a bet on the horses, but betting on good bourbon to drink. So you go out and you drink and you have a good time. And uh, it's it's really is an experience, you know, watching the races come in. And even if you only bet a couple bucks, having a little bit of stake in the game when the horses come around the turn, it's a it is a beautiful experience. I mean, wait, though, the Kentucky Derby that I've seen for me is all about the hats. It the hats and, and ladies with parasols and right or wrong, I think Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> right, right my wife has a uh the top of our closet is nothing but derby hats and fascinators uh, she has friends that call her to get them to use so uh, it is yeah and it's you know there's a lot of events that happen around derby time that are all very similar and very kind of derby themed and it's just a it's a it's a cool time to be to be here you know we do a beer called photo finish for the derby right around that time that's a uh like a butter pecan, there's a specific, I'm not allowed to say what the pie is because of proprietary. There's a specific pie in, in Louisville that's very popular around that time of year. And we have a beer that is flavored like that. <laughs> so um, it is, uh, it, it's just, it's just a fun time. And it's, it's really is a time, I think when a lot of people, you know, bourbon tourism is huge. And we get a lot of that. Uh, a lot of people who are coming to visit the bourbon trail who then also, because we're so par alcohol paralleled industry, we get a lot of people who, who want a break from just drinking, you know, the bourbon and to come over and they want to try and see what Kentucky beer is all about. And I think, um, I think that people are pleasantly surprised with the growth of craft beer in, in Kentucky, both Lexington and Louisville are pillars. If you, if you really go and you experience all the different things, you have breweries that specialize in Northeast IPAs. You have breweries that specialize in sours. You have breweries like us that are kind of doing a, a mix of a lot of things. And then, um, you know, and there's the, the resurgence of the Kentucky common style of beer. Um, there's something later this month um, where, you know, there's a push to make that the official beer style of Kentucky. And uh, that later this month, there's actually a festival uh, that's going on that's sponsored by Sig, Sig Lusher Brewing out of Frankfort, Kentucky, where our state capital is. And 
we're going to the Capitol and we've all brewed a Kentucky common style beer and we're going to let people experience this historical beer that's being made all over the world, but originated right here in Kentucky. So basically you're going to go get all the legislatures legislators drunk on Kentucky common beer. <laughs> so they will vote to pass this. That's a sneaky way to do it. And that sounds very kind of in the history of the South. I, I think that's right. Yeah. The alcohol history down there. <laughs> yeah. We're excited about it. Uh, it's, it's good. And you know, we love the. Yeah. One of the things I think that was most eye-opening for us as we opened our brewery was just the camaraderie. You know, it's not as competitive as certain things are and as many breweries are in the market. The camaraderie of the Louisville and Lexington and really Kentucky breweries as a whole with the, the Kentucky Gilder Brewers has been great. There's never been a time when we couldn't call someone and ask a question. You know, we were home brewers moving into a commercial brewing environment. So we had a lot of questions. I remember the overwhelming feeling of, you know, can we do this on a macro level? Can we make this much beer? And now I'm now I'm having those same thoughts about opening a restaurant, right? Like I know we can make the beer now. The beer is great, uh, but can we do this with the restaurant? So I think that the camaraderie has been just it's great. There's never a time I can't call somebody, get a bag of of whatever malt we're out of or hops we're out of, and the amount of times that someone's reached out and just wanted to do a collab with us. Um, you know, it's been it's been really cool, and now. I think we're on the other side of that, where there's a couple of breweries that are breweries in planning now that the guild has pointed our way because we were smaller that are now reaching out to us. And it's really nice to be able to go over and tell them the things that someone else told us, right? It's like passing the torch. You know, we're able to be the guys that they're asking questions on. This is the supplier we use for this. This is how we do this. This will make that easier. Look at an operation and say, hey, we made this mistake. You shouldn't have to make it too. So I guess that gives us kind of a nice little natural transition there since um, this podcast is happening because of Malt Europe Malting mm -hmm. Company, um, good friends of ours and good friends of yours. Um, mm -hmm. how, how important was it to have a good supplier? Like, like I assume somebody like Malt Europe was invaluable as you guys were getting off the ground. Yeah. So one of the things we didn't know, obviously, like most home brewers, we were getting our malt from a homebrew shop. And you can't get commercial amounts of malt as much as a uh, brewgrass homebrew shop would probably like to supply us with that. We needed, you know, a, a lot and, and a lot regularly. And we didn't really know where to go, you know. And um, and one of the great things is that uh, Malt Europe, uh, our contact there, Rick Barney, he's been wonderful. And uh, he came in and he was just like, hey, as your system's getting up and running, if you guys need some, some malt to... to dial that system in, you know, we'll, we'll be here to help. And he has really been a huge advocate and he's a huge advocate for a lot of breweries. And, uh, but we are a malt Europe malt uh, brewery. That is, if you come in and if the, if malt Europe carries a specific type of malt, we're, we can, we're using it if we can. So, um, and when Rick and, and malt Europe has something new, we're always, you know, eager in line to, to put something new into our beers that, that they're offering. So they've been, I mean, being able to not only are they fast, but they're friendly. And for us, it's all about relationships. So, uh, you know, the product speaks for itself. It's, it's wonderful, but relationships for us are key and having someone that comes in physically and talks with us and gets to know us as people, that means a lot to us. You know, there's, there's a reason why I have malt Europe and I'm, we, we haven't looked at anyone else, right? It's because we're getting the support that we need. And we're building a relationship that we know will take us into, you know, our new location. Malt Europe gave us uh, great service and great pricing and, and quick turnaround. And now we're growing. And in turn, you know, we, we're not going to be the biggest brewery. Ten Barrels is probably a pretty standard microbrewery. But that, for us, that's big. And, and our orders are going to increase with that. And, you know, hopefully a few years from now, we have more locations and we're growing and Malt Europe continues to grow. So, and, you know, they're in bourbon country. They, they supply bourbon malt as well. So the, to the to the distillery, so it's easy. There, I feel like we, we maybe we're we're lucking out a little bit because we're getting really quick shipments because we're right here. So well, and I was gonna say too, you probably really appreciate Rick as as your sales uh, manager there because, I mean, I you know this is probably a little deep in the weeds for most people, but Rick is actually second generation. Um, at Malt Europe, his dad worked there forever and sold malt and handled a lot of the bourbon distillers down there in Kentucky. And then, 
you know, Rick actually stepped in when his father decided to retire. And so I'm sure that as a Kentucky guy, you got to be loving that association with Rick because you guys probably go on for days about everything Kentucky and bourbon and, and beer and everything all together. It's, it's got to be fun. You know, it's, you know, it's a good relationship when you're, when your malt sales guy text messages you and says, Hey, are you going to be in? Cause I'm bringing people in and, and he's not, he's not calling, he's not calling me to talk business. He's calling just cause he wants to know if I'm going to be at the bar. He's bringing some people in. Like that's, that's a good, that's what we, that's what we look for in our relationships with people. Right. Like I want to know that, that someone enjoys having a conversation with us when we come in and, you know, and, you know, I messaged him the other day and I said, Hey, you know, it's the circle of life in Kentucky. We got your, we got your malt. We, we used it. I sent my spent grain to, to Rosedale farm out in Crestwood, Kentucky. He fed it to his hogs. I bought a hog from him. He, he came and the guy before he processed it, he came and got some of our red ale and then he processed the bratwurst with our red ale in it. And then I cooked it on the grill and I'm like, it's the, it's the circle of life in Kentucky, you know? That's so cool. I love that. That It does not get much more craft than that. Does it? That is really cool. Have you had a chance to use malt Europe's like newest malts? Yeah. So we use the crystal. Absolutely. Um, We have uh, in the steamed, you know, the steam crystal that we used, I think today we even used uh, one of the newer versions they have that lightens it up the 3.5, which will give us, it allows us to get a little bit of that, of that maltier caramely um, flavor without increasing the SRM, so the color of our beer. So, um, and I, that's, that's really important for some of the beers that we brew because um, we, it, it, I think at the base, every brewer beer, brews beer for themselves and beer that they're gonna like. And I like malt forward beers. So, um, you know, if, for me, it doesn't get any better than an ESB or, a, a, you know, an English style barley wine or something like, so we are, um, we, you know, I think we've, we've we've pushed some of that out in beers that probably shouldn't have had as much in it but uh products like that that allow us to to dial in colors and to dial in the exact maltiness we want of our beer and and allow us to play with some of the new hop variants that are out there as well um yeah it's been it's been great and the good thing is you know we have a couple of core beers but everything rotates so as we're doing you know that we got the cascadian dark on now i mean the 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 malt that we're that we're able to get is it's uh, it's making some of the best beer and you know we're biased I love my beer the best so <laughs> that's good you should <laughs> hopefully you are that proud of your beer right I mean yeah. <laughs> that's what it's all about and it's fun you know coming from that home brewer background it's like especially being the size you guys are you you kind of get to still play and you get to you know create fun stuff and keep it exciting for people, you know, they're like, Oh, what's on now? What's on now? And, but you can still have those, some of those core beers that you, you maybe don't have on all the time, or maybe you do, but then you bring some back. It's, you know, I think it, it, it keeps it fun for your customers. You know, we, we tell people who come in, who are new all the time, it, look at the tap board, because if you come back in in a couple of weeks, it's going to look completely different. Right. Um, my, my partner has, uh, he is a student of beer. He is always, Patrick, he is always studying the best way to make a certain recipe. And if he doesn't get something just the exact way he wants it, you guarantee in a, in a couple months, we'll, we'll make it again. And he's going to try, he's going to get it the exact way he wants that beer. And I, I love that about him. We're, we have a good dichotomy between the two of us on, you know, I'll not that long ago, I did a peanut butter, banana, old ale. Um, and it was, I thought it turned out great. And then, you know, he's, he's, you know, he'll bring it back with something that's traditional and then we'll collab together on a mix between the two. And, um, I think that that's really helped. If you look at our tap board, it, it's really helped create a kind of an eccentric mix of beer that sets up there. So, so again, I'm backing up okay. again. Why gallant Fox? Why in the thirties? Where did that like we know the so, Kentucky Derby, but why that? It's a good question. So um, when we sat down and really via text message a bunch, when we were trying to think about the when we trying to think about the way to brand our home, and we branded this as a home brewing operation. We didn't wait until we didn't wait until we decided to do this. We wanted a name for our home brewery as people were getting stuff. So we wanted something. I think you know, as a marketer uh, by trade, we wanted something that would connect us to Kentucky without being 
overtly like in your face about it, right? So people still have to ask, well, what, what, what's, why Gallant Fox, right? And then it gives us an opportunity to talk to about it. And we also wanted something selfishly that would make a good logo. So if you look, um, my partner always says our logo is as Mr. Peanut as a fox, right? So he is a he is a gallant fox. He's got his monocle and his top hat, and um, and you know if you come into our bar, I've had a bunch of artists that do um, these pet. It's called pet photography. So they take they take a photo that you have and they make your pet look like a person. So they put them in these like regal outfits, and we have a wall where I just sent them instead of pet photos, I sent them fox photos. So I have this wall of fox generals and foxes and top. They look like people, you know, foxes in their old 19, you know, their old Ford Model A cars. And we have just huge wall of them. It almost looks like a, a family wall of foxes. Uh, and it's just, you know, it, it, it was, it's a fun brand for us to be able to play with, right? And then there's the tie to the outdoorsy thing. I think a lot of people think of Kentucky. They think about you know, there's the the natural landscape of Kentucky, rolling hills, Red River Gorge, the lakes that we have. It's just a very, it's a, it's a wonderful place to come visit if you're a hiker, if you're a camper. And uh, we wanted to tie, you know, both of us are into the, to those types of activities. So we wanted to tie something that was very natural. Um, and I think that that helped. So you'll see birchwood wallpaper and some fox taxidermy. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a very, um, a very earthy place when you walk in. Are you planning on brewing anything for American Craft Beer Week specifically? Is it still a little too far off or? A little bit far off. We will we will 100% brew a beer for Craft Beer Week this year. So um, we'll we'll get there a little bit when we get a little bit closer, but so excited about American Craft Beer Week and being able to participate as a brewery and being a destination for people to come and, and, and get our beer. So um, it's exciting. I'm excited for it, yeah. All right, we have a couple of questions that are more about like, getting to know you behind the beer. So, okay. all right. Uh, the first one is basically just think about you outside of the brewery and outside of the beer. Like, who are you? So a lot of me is parallel to the brewery. So if you were to ask me prior to opening the brewery, one of the things that I liked, obviously I liked beer, everybody who gets into this likes beer, but I have an extensive bourbon collection myself. So I am a bourbon, people talk about hobbies. Bourbon is one of my hobbies. So um, I am our buyer for all of our spirits. So I, one of one of the things are- um, Yeah, you are, have no fun with that job at all. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things our distributors, uh, I think is, think is funny about me is, I don't care the cost of a bottle. I wanna know what it tastes like. So if they're trying to, to sell me a new product, you know, I'm not putting something in my bar I haven't tasted for myself, right? I don't care how good the price is. I'll sell, a, I'll sell something a little bit more expensive if I like it because I want that experience to be good. So similarly at home, I have tons of bottles of bourbon. My my, my grandfather, who was like a dad to me, he uh, lived uh, right by the famous Stitzel Weller Distillery, which was the original distiller of Pappy Van Winkle. So uh, he grew up instilling a love for that. You know, when I became of age, for he, he drank dark spirits himself and... Um, and so that's that's it. I'm also I, I have a an old British car I like to work on uh, in my spare time. So um, you know, uh, and then I love to spend time with my family. I have a five year old um, who is he he is he his favorite color is orange because Gallant Fox is orange, and um, he comes into the bar and he thinks he owns it, you know, and uh, runs around and makes me nervous, but. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I spend a lot of time being a dad and just um, enjoying uh, bringing my family. I don't like to have a separation between my my work and 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 my family. My wife helps out. Um, she's her day job by trade is a marketer, so she helps at the brewery as well. And my partner's wife, her day job by trade is an HR specialist and and, and executive. So she we we have a nice team, right? So they call in and they're part of our ownership group. And we talk about, you know, as, as two couples that own this, this growing brewery, uh, we talk about, you know, hiring and all the things that you don't think about when you, you get ready to own a business like this. Right. So, um, and we get together and we have big dinners and talk about the future of our company and where we want to see it go. It's, it's, it's really, it's really fantastic. That's really cool. I do like that a lot. I have a couple quick bourbon questions. Okay. Do so it. what if you could pick like just one or two on each end of the spectrum, what is the what is one of the higher top shelf type bourbons that you would say is worth that money? 
that people sometimes will hold back on because they're like, I don't know if I can spend a hundred dollars on a bottle or something like that. And then what are a couple of the ones that you think would really surprise people that are on the lower end of the spectrum that are like, you know, 20, $30 a bottle that people are like, okay, it's probably not great, but I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to only spend this much. So I think people, we get this question a lot. People always want to know the best value, right? So I'll say that when you because everything's getting hard to find, right? Everything is good. Yeah. There's no there's no hidden gems anymore, right? So um, on the lower end, I would say Old Granddad 114 is probably my go-to. It's 114 proof. That's you know, and for a lot of people, that's a high that's a high proof for the tongue. But I think for a seasoned bourbon drinker, you kind of want it a little hotter. You 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 know how to roll it to to bring out some of that um, some of that flavor and some of the oils and some of the things and some people will add a little water to old, old granddad 114 when i watched live music last night at the bar that's what i was drinking on um and from a rye perspective i think everybody probably knows it's not expensive but sazerac rye is fantastic and uh, it's not over overtly minty as some ryes are overtly spicy but it's it's a very it has a very different flavor um also like you know it, the, the price ranges are kind of kind of all over the place with some of his stuff, but what Trey Zoller is doing with Jefferson's Reserve and the Jefferson's line, I think is very interesting with some of the blending and some of the cask finishing he's doing. So I think that some of his stuff does creep up to around a hundred bucks, but a lot of that stuff's at the $50, $60 range. They just released a double barrel ride that's right in that $50, $60 range. It's really good. And then in that, people ask a lot, what is your, if you had $50 to spend, what would you buy? Old Forester has a, in the Old Forester whiskey row line, they have this whiskey row line. So it's supposed to pay homage to different eras of Old Forester product. And one of them, um, you know, they have like one that's, that's a bottled and bond version, one that's a double barrel barreled version, but the, they have one that's 115 proof. Um, and it's right about 50 bucks and it, you can't really get a better bourbon for that price. I really think at some point, if they ever discontinue it, it would probably end up going for quite a lot of money. Uh, on the secondary market. But if you had a lot of money to spend and your and money really wasn't an option, um, I would probably say, and, and this is pretty well known in the bourbon industry, um, the, the BTAC collection, which is Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, um, they release it once a year. And, um, and if you're a rye fan, the Thomas Handy Rye, I think the MSRP on that's like 119, but you obviously it's hard, very hard to find, but it's fantastic. And then uh, the William LaRue Weller, uh, which is a, a barrel proof. Um, those are all those bottles are right around 120 bucks. And they are, if, if you ever can get your hand on a Buffalo Trace antique bottle, they are, there's not one in that, in that collection. That's not fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Um, he was not asking that for you listeners. He was asking that selfishly, but hopefully you listeners got something I, out of I was, well. but I, I, I mean, I just bought a bottle a couple days ago and I think, um, at least on the low to mid range, I think I remember seeing almost every single one of those bottles on the shelf there. So yeah, might have some, it's, some exploring to do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one of the things, if you guys ever do make it to Kentucky, one of the things we try to do is make beer approachable for bourbon drinkers and bourbon approachable for beer drinkers. So, you know, you can get a flight of our beer, you know, we give anybody a sip of beer if they want to try any of the beer on our board as much as they want before they commit. But from a bourbon perspective, we try to take every week an allocated bottle that's hard to find that we can get and put it on special. So, you know, this week it's a different bottle than last week and it's a different bottle than the week before. So this week we have Blue Run Bourbon Reflection Number One. It's a hundred dollar bottle and we're selling it for 11 bucks an ounce. So somebody can come in and get an ounce of a bottle that they may not be able to get a hold of. And when we get our, our Van Winkle allocation last year, we got a you know, a, a, a lot B, uh, 12 year, which is a, which is a Van Winkle bourbon. And uh, so it's a 12 year Van Winkle and, and we sold it for 12 bucks an ounce. Right. And, but we made people buy it, made people buy beer with it. So 12 bucks an ounce plus our one over $6 beers. But, you know, it's nice for someone to be able to, we do that as a limited limit as one, but people can come in and we're not, you know, we're not trying to, we're trying to help people experience something that they, they might not be able to get somewhere else. So. Yeah. Cause those are bottles that a lot of just your typical drink, even your typical bourbon drinker, just you can't afford or, or you can't maybe can't even get access to it because a lot of that stuff is very limited and very hard to get. But then to be able to get it, I know a lot of people might say 11 or $12 sounds like a lot for an ounce, but actually for a good bourbon or something that is really inexpensive. 
and to try something that you might not otherwise get to experience. That's pretty cool and pretty special. And I think achievable for a lot of people. So it is, and and not to get too off track, but uh, Kentucky passed a law a few years ago called the Vintage Spirits Act. And it allows us to actually buy privately instead of just from distributors. And if your grandmother in Kentucky had a bottle of bourbon from the 1950s that was still sealed, I could buy it, declare it with the state and put it on my bar. So we have two rows of vintage spirits from the 80s and the 70s. And you can come in and get a Japanese release, Wild Turkey 13, that they don't release in the United States. Or, you know, we have Blanton's, which is a very popular bourbon here. They don't release a barrel proof version in the United States. They do release it in the UK. So you can come and get a bottle of barrel proof Blanton's. So, the you know, it's like handwritten proof. You know, we have a bottle that's like 124 proof and Blanton's is usually 90 proof. So now you're getting a completely different variation. There's some Japanese Blanton's, the Takara series. So we can put those on now because Kentucky has realized that there's there's tourism coming here and, and they want to give us the ability to give a unique experience to people. That's really cool. Finally, a state government that. that has some intelligence to them when it comes to alcohol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a give and take with all the governments, right? Right. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to change this question up a little bit because it used to just be about beer, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. So this is the last question. It's just fun. <laughs> and so think about your personality, like who you are, personality. So if yeah. your personality were a beer or a spirit, mm-hmm. what, what okay. would it be and why? Well, I got, I got to keep it on the beer side, right? Okay. So I will say this, if my personality were a beer or spirit, I think I would be like a, a Belgian style beer, right? Like big and bold, right? And kind of in your face, but, uh, you know, acquired an acquired taste with time. So, you know, and um, I think, and I want to, I want to also say this, I want to answer this for my partner as well, because, because yes. I know he's going to be listening to this. If my partner were a beer, he would be a Gruet because he is my, he is my, the yin to my yang. He is a, you know, he's an outdoorsman and he is, uh, he loves, he's a traditionalist. We brewed some Gruets together. It was actually one of the styles that got us interested in brewing together. And um, he is a, um, and he is just he is, he is, uh, we, we call him, uh, we, we, we tease him and say he's the lumberjack because he wears a lot of flannel and plaid. <laughs> and uh, we, we do like, oh, he, you know, it's like his uniform, but, um, you know, he is, he is that guy. And, you know, he's, uh, and I think that that has, hit, part of that part of his personality has really shown through in our brand too, with a little bit of the outdoorsiness. So I have to say, like, I swear, listeners, that I did not give him the question ahead of time. Because yeah. I've asked that question to some people and they so struggle with it, but it, it's like you answered it like you knew exactly what I meant or like I gave it to you ahead of time and you had time to think. So that was brilliant. I may or may not do public speaking every now and then. Okay, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> Quick well, on the feet. Yeah, that was it. Well, that's this right. has been fun and we do, we, we all know plans change. However, we do have pretty good plans of being in Kentucky this fall. So... Well, we'll so, seek us out and let's enjoy yeah. some beer and bourbon together. We're looking Absolutely. forward to it. On All that right. note, I can't think of a better place now because yeah. knowing that you have both the great beer and the great bourbon, uh, yeah, I might have to just sleep over. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've got a, we've got a couch in the office. Don't worry. There you go. Okay, cool. I'm good with the couch. Okay. <laughs> you got a parking place for an RV? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. There you go. Cheers to beer and bourbon and gallant fox that's right <laughs> thank you very I much i appreciate your time today so much i appreciate the opportunity for us to be on here and to get to engage with your listeners and for you know anybody who's listening you know check us out on social uh check us out see what the beer that we're we're brewing and, and come pay us a visit we'd love to chat with you and we'd love to share a little bit of our story with you well thanks so much roger uh thank you guys so i know i mentioned this already on the podcast itself but like Roger's smile he was smiling the entire time we were talking and that's probably just his personality but it was really cool and so definitely now my cloudiness has kind of you know lifted a little bit because (laughs) of his smile but anyhow so that was really cool but also he made me think of do you remember when we cleaned out your grandparents house like a few months ago well we didn't like clean it out but we went to visit it because your, your grandma had been you know she had passed away like over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so when we were driving from one place to another, we stopped in your hometown of Burwell. Yeah. And we stopped there and we're like, oh, let's go in and, you know, check out the house and like reminisce and have some memories. 
because nobody had touched really touched the house. Like your grandma's purse was still on the dresser. I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff had been removed, but there was still so much stuff there right. that, so, from my childhood. What I was thinking of is when he was talking about, like, didn't he say, like, his grandparents had, or some, I don't remember what he said, actually, but some of his grandparents had, like, this vintage bottle of no, bourbon, would, or he's he, just talking about if someone had it. Right, like how they could acquire bourbon legally in the, in Kentucky. And sell it, like, at the bar right. or something like that. But can you imagine if we would have found some big old, like, cool, dusty, fancy bottle of bourbon in your grandparents' <laughs> house that maybe your grandpa... Because I, I don't remember ever really seeing them drink that much. So they... By the time you met my grandparents, they didn't really drink a lot. Yeah. Um, when a little... That that was also because my, my grandpa had Parkinson's and, like, as he got older, he couldn't, he yeah. didn't drink as much. But when they were younger, I remember when I was a kid, like the thing they would do, cause they'd grow up in small town, Nebraska. And it was like Saturday night was dancing night. It was like go out to either the Legion club or some little local bar where a band was playing and they would dance, they would dance all night. And, and occasionally they'd have a few drinks and they did and sometimes at the house too, when we were staying there, they would have like a little, a nice little drink. And I don't even know what they were drinking. I'm going to have to find out from my parents or something. Cause I don't remember what it was they drink, but it was, it was some it, kind of they spirit? didn't drink like beer. Usually it was more like some kind of spirit. Yeah. Someone got into the house. One of your cousins got into the house beforehand and oh. found that vintage bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Damn you. Damn you, Pishna cousins. Just kidding. Oh, but I was just I thinking can tell when, you which one it was. Too. No, I'm just. <laughs> wouldn't that have been kind of cool to find like some vintage? Oh, that would have been really cool. In there, because honestly, though, we did find a couple cool things through that track. That one brought a lot of memories crashing down on me, but but found a couple cool little gems that like like my grandpa's violin was still there in its case with like a half inch of dust piled up on top of it. I was like, how has nobody ever opened this in like a decade? And so, yeah, we did, and now we did his... remove a couple of things that we felt were important. But now your grandpa, now his great grandkids have that violin. Yeah. So that's cool. But that is what like good spirits can, you know, bourbon, gin, whatever, what good drinks, a good beer, a good wine. Like they just bring those memories and people together that's basically what it does and so like you have to say this do you remember the saying and you've heard us talk about it too before the movie you talked about with bourbon uh it was oh, a documentary neat, neat the story of bourbon yeah yeah but what did he say summarize that little piece up that is just so heartfelt and when you're thinking about like finding vintage bourbons or even vintage beer or something that is special to you that you found it's it's this yeah. made me think of it yeah i think it's uh, it's basically along the lines of don't ever wait to drink that good bourbon he's like they're always going to be making more bourbon and there's always going to be more good bourbon he's like we're here now good bourbon is meant to be shared with the your friends and family and the people you love so don't don't try to save it for that that someday, that special occasion, that whatever. It's a special occasion now because we're together. And don't let it go to waste. Don't let that moment go to waste. Yeah, that's it. That wasn't exactly it word for word from the movie, but that is what he was saying. But that's cool and I like it. And that's that's what... And it uh, makes me cry every time. Yeah, he's got tears. <laughs> I don't His have eyes my, are No, I don't have tears right moist. now. But when, okay, they might be a little bit. But when I watch the documentary, because it is an excellent, excellent show and the documentary again was called what neat okay the story of bourbon very cool i think that sounds like a good time to say cheers Ooh. Ooh, and but maybe and yes if you're paying attention to the kentucky derby pick a horse bet on it and just like roger said the best bet is knowing that you're going to be drinking some good bourbon and i'm gonna add some good beer (laughs) that's the best bet yeah. I'll go with that. And actually, though, you know what? If you want to drink some really good beer along with some really good bourbon, you know where this is going, campcarpadium.com. Uh, sign up now because you don't want to miss out on all of our fun. It's the coolest adult camp ever. That's all I'm going to say about it. You can check it out at C-A-M-P-C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M.com. Kenny's holding his breath trying to say something. Because I do want to add one little thing. Asheville Brevard, that's where it's going to be happening is not all that far from the bourbon trail in Kentucky. It's not. 
and we gonna be hitting that trail. Yes, we are. Cool. So you know the deal. Tell all your friends about us because we're the cool people. A little weird, but we're cool. But tell all your friends about us. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> recommend us. Talk about us. Buy us a beer. Subscribe. All that mumbo jumbo because we need you. We love you. Here's to you. Here's to the Derby and good bourbon. And cool hats and pastel suits. <laughs> okay, with that, we better call it because that's too many tears. Cheers. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.